Podcast number 44, Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit. In the history of modern music, few songs have had the impact on not only the music, but also on popular culture as Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit. We think of Bill Haley's Rock Around the Clock with a guitar solo that amazes to this day that helped usher in rock and roll. Heartbreak Hotel introduced Elvis to the world. In similar fashion, A Hard Day's Night brought us The Beatles, which changed music, dress, beliefs, actual genres of music welled up from their songs and their concepts. Bob Dylan, like a rolling stone, in like fashion, changed the way many people thought about music and poetry. Through form and analysis, we search for the underlying techniques and architecture that go into making a masterpiece such as this then applying this knowledge to our own works. First, let's look at this overall architecture. The key signature is A-flat, the time signature is 4-4, and the sections are the introduction. This is a two-part introduction. I will label it part A and B. Then we have verse 1, a pre-chorus, then the chorus, and then a bridge. Then we return to the introduction, but only part B. Then we have verse 2, a pre-chorus again, the chorus, a guitar solo, an interlude, then verse 3, the pre-chorus, the chorus, and then we go to the coda and the outro. This order of sections has, in various form, permeated today's music. We will start with the overall form and then work our way deeper and deeper until we reach each individual note and their importance to the body of the work. As we begin our analysis, this song features a four-chord cycle throughout the entire work, creating a hypnotic effect drawing the listener in deeper and deeper. The key of A-flat major would suggest the chords A-flat, B-flat minor, C minor, D-flat, E-flat, F minor, and G diminished. However, we hear F suspended fourth, B-flat, the one and four chord in the key of F major, then A flat suspended fourth, and D flat, which is the one and four chord in the key of A flat. Immediately within the first two measures, because these chords are held for two beats each, we are in two different keys, the key of F major and the key of A flat major. This is a modulation without preparation. Someone might say, unless one has perfect pitch or is actually playing the music, what does it matter? But in all of us, we have listened to and sung music of our culture, our tonal system, consisting of major and minor scales and keys, and this is ingrained in us. This is why, with no formal musical training, even children can sing in perfect pitch or harmonize. At a subconscious level, we sense something new. A change of color has happened. As I have said in earlier podcasts, the chordal background to a song is the same as the first layer of color an artist applies to canvas. It inspires, influences, and supports all that is layered above, whether it's notes or color. In fact, many people hear, see, sense, and feel music as color. 
As we shall see as we progress through this analysis, the chords do not change with the various sections, the verse, pre-chorus, chorus, etc. The change is affected by rhythmic changes of intensity and the manner of playing the chords. This use of one chord pattern through a whole song is revolutionary and almost unheard of. One more reason this song sets itself apart from other works. This creates what may be considered a chordal ostinato. An ostinato pattern usually is defined as a musical phrase that constantly repeats. One major concept to keep in mind is that music should be a mixture of tension and calm, light and dark. The shifting vocal and instrumental intensity and dynamics creates the light and dark images while simultaneously delineating the various sections. In my previous podcast, I discussed how these sections are constructed and how they evolved through the years. For example, the bridge in traditional song forms was a major section. You had the verse, which we labeled A, and the bridge labeled B, which was a contrasting section of equal length. And in that traditional song form, it used to be A-A-B-A form. The modern bridge is something totally different, bringing something new into a form that uses, as we have seen here, a pre-chorus, verse, chorus, and interludes. Also, today, we have seen so many songs rely on four chords or three chords, maybe changing the order for different sections, but keeping the same chords. These few examples, among so many, are why this song has been so influential. Now, let's look at the introduction. The song opens with the four-chord progression at full intensity and dynamics, not only highlighting the chord ostinato, but also setting the tempo, tonality, and overall mood of the work. Since many listeners to this podcast play other instruments than the guitar, there are two techniques that Kurt uses that are very pertinent. On the guitar, a chord may be played in a full version... or what is known as a power chord. This consists of only the first and the fifth of the chord, no third, the note that makes it major or minor. If you see it written, it would be labeled F5 or B-flat5, etc. It conveys strength and power, especially with distortion added. So Kurt uses both of these chord forms to achieve sectioning, as we shall see. Secondly, when moving from one chord to another, guitarists often have to play open strings or muted to make the transition from one chord to another. The reason I bring this up is if you see music written out for this song, you'll see F, B flat, and then you might see G. It's not really a G chord. He's hitting open strings as he's moving his hand. So the person writing the music hears that as a G, which might be true, but he's not playing a G. He's playing open strings. Most times you might mute that and you'll just see X's written on the music. Also, on the F chord and the A flat chord, you might see written F suspended fourth because he's playing F, C, F, and B flat rather than F, C, F, and A. Or you might see it written just as a plain F chord or A flat. I've seen it written both ways. Normally, I wouldn't bring this up, but it really has a lot to do with the sectioning of this song, since the chords stay the same. So that's why I felt it was important to mention. 
as previously stated, a solo guitar opens the work, underscoring and highlighting the importance of these four chords. The progression is played twice before the drums and bass enter. Now we hear the chord progression four more times, then suddenly the intensity drops off and we hear the bass line implying the chord changes with the root of each chord. We hear this bass line with slight variation throughout the song. The drums are scaled back and the guitar now plays a two-note riff, C to F, played twice. This part of the introduction we will call part B. Now, verse 1 enters. It's eight measures long, and the first phrase is measures 1 and 2. The lyrics are, load up on guns and bring your friends. Now, I would never try and analyze lyrics because they are too personal to each one of us. The background is a continuation of the previous four measures. In other words, introduction B the bass, drums, and the riff. Now we hear the lyrics supported by the melody based on the A-flat major scale. The notes used are C, D-flat, E-flat, F, and A-flat. C, D-flat, E-flat, F, A-flat. As we listen to each note against the chords, we get the following tonal colors. In almost every measure of all the section, Kurt uses anticipation in every measure. This is where the note sung at the end of the measure is not of that chord. It is called a non-chord tone, and it creates tension. Then that note is held over into the next measure where it is part of that chord, and then the tension is resolved. This happens, as I said, almost in every measure of this piece. I will play this slow, and as I have stated earlier, I think you sense it. I think we all sense this change of color, this tension to light, even though it's going by very fast. I think we feel it. Now, in the verse, the bass implies the chords, but now I'm going to play them so you can hear the sound color of each note against that chord. And the bass, I'm just playing the first note so you hear the outline. Since the first measure is in the key of F and the melody is in the key of A flat, it's almost a bitonal feel. Now, in the second phrase of verse 1, measures 3 and 4, we hear the lyrics, it's fun to lose and to pretend. In this second phrase, the notes sounding against the chords create a feeling of anxiety due to the amount of non-chord tones and the continuous use of anticipation. It underscores the meaning of these lyrics. Podcast number 21 deals with non-chord and chord tones. Also on Amazon, I have a book, The Songwriter's Guide to Melodies, which deals with all these subjects. We can feel the uneasiness through those notes. The D-flat against the F chord is a minor sixth. Then that pulls down to the C 
the fifth of the F chord. That C is held and the chord changes to a B flat. Against the B flat, we hear a G, the sixth, and then the A flat, which is the seventh. That is held and the chord changes to an A flat. Then we have two B flats against the A flat chord. That is the second note, also referred to as the ninth. Then the chord changes to a D flat, and we have C, the seventh, the major seventh, an expressive note, the B flat, the sixth, the A flat, the fifth, and then the G, the fourth, which creates the suspension to the next measure. At this very slow tempo, we hear all that darkness and tension. You notice how it resolves, though. Sometimes, like from the minor 6, the D-flat to the C, that was quite a bit of tension, but then it resolved. We shall see that a great portion of this song has this constant tension to calm, dark to light feature. At this slow tempo, the emotion is truly obvious. The third phrase... Measures 5 and 6 has the lyrics, she's overboard and self-assured. It is the same as the first phrase, with some slight variations to fit the lyrics. And again on the fourth phrase, measures 7 and 8, the lyrics, oh no, I know a dirty word, is basically a repetition of the second phrase, also with some variation of melody. High A-flat replaces C on the word O, and A-flat replaces G on I. These slight alterations are common in music as the singer sings different words and puts different inflections in. What is really important here is to notice that the phrases are symmetrical. The first and the third phrase are the same, and the second and the fourth. Many words have been written on the importance of symmetry in all forms of art in painting, architecture, and music. Now we enter the pre-chorus. The intensity now starts building. The riff is accelerated to quarter notes, creating urgency. The melody above this uses only three notes, A-flat, G, and F. also repeat hello 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 how long so now what we have is a repeating riff repetition of the chord progression repetition of the lyrics a repeating bass part in effect four ostinato patterns using groupings of three and four notes or words cells so to speak all layered against each other driving us with growing tension, accelerating us into its goal, the explosion of the chorus. The chorus. At the end of the pre-chorus, we hear the notes A-flat, A-flat, G-F, only this time an octave higher, with the lyrics with the lights out. This is the entrance of the chorus with the rhythmic figure number one on the guitar and the drums coming in full force. Here the intensity is extreme, as extreme as any song written. 
It is though all the emotion and pent-up feelings held in are suddenly released. As we look at each phrase, certain details, techniques, and facts will emerge. Before we listen, here are some very important facts. Number one, each subphrase is four notes. Two, they are grouped in three sections rather than the symmetrical four of the verses. Three, each subphrase ends on an anticipation, as we said, a note not in the chord, but sustained into the next measure where it is resolved into a chord tone, a suspension, and then a resolution. This technique, as we have seen, is used in every section. Four, as with the pre-chorus, the subphrases keep repeating once again, creating the hypnotic effect. Five, every two phrases make one lyrical sentence. And number six, it is sung one octave higher than the rest of the song. just heard is repeated three times. Again, not symmetrical. Every subphrase, the third note, is held over, and as it is held over, it becomes dissonant, and then it resolves to a consonant note. Again, dark to light. Against the F chord, we hear a G, which is the second, resolved to the consonant F. Then we have B-flat, the B-flat against the A-flat chord, and now that's the second, and it resolves to the root or first of the A-flat chord. Then we have D-flat against the F chord again. This is the minor sixth, resolved to the fifth of the C. And then one more time, we have the B-flat against the A-flat, which is now the second, and then it resolves to the root of the A-flat. When I was working on this analysis, I was amazed when I slowed everything down to see this ebb and flow, the shifting colors. I think this is one of the reasons this song affects so many people. These four phrases are repeated two more times, creating three sections. Since so much of our music is based on four symmetrical groups, I think our inner ear expects one more phrase, thereby creating a feeling of anxiety. Instead, we get an instrumental interlude, a bridge, four measures long, replacing the missing fourth phrase. It uses power chords and then a single note bent up from a B natural to a C with the lyrics, yay. This is played twice. I will play it slowly and label the chords. F, E, F, G flat. F, E, F, B flat, A flat, C, F. The bridge leads us to the second part of the introduction, the rhythm figure number two, and the C to F riff. As in most songs, the verses tell the story, and the pre-chorus and the chorus have the same lyrics. Then, as before, we move into the pre-chorus, chorus, the bridge, 
which this time introduces the guitar solo, which is basically an instrumental version of the verse and the pre-chorus. At the end of the solo, there is a four-bar interlude, which is an F note held for four measures. Then verse number three, followed by the pre-chorus and chorus. But now, instead of the bridge, we go to the coda and outro, which is the first four notes, A-flat, G, G, F, of the chorus, repeated nine times with the lyric, A Denial, intensity at its highest level. Kurt then holds that high F against the sustained F chord for two measures, and then the chord slowly evaporates. If there was ever a piece of music written that so epitomizes the effect of dark to light, tension to calm, this is it. At every level, every section, phrase, and measure, the harmony, the rhythm, and the melody, the three elements of music constantly create waves of color and emotions. There are so many techniques used in this song, but some of the ones I think that are highlighted are his use of added note chords, anticipation to create suspension and resolution in almost every measure, the hypnotic use of ostinatos of chords, melody, lyrics, and bass layered against each other. Constant modulation in every measure moving between two keys. Octave shifts with his voice and guitar techniques along with the drum and bass patterns to create section. The most important element, of course, is his voice. The interpretation that he gives to this song. As I worked on this analysis, I saw things I never, never expected. To me, this is songwriting of the highest level. Thank you so, so much for listening. I hope some of these techniques you can use in your works. I truly appreciate your time. Take care. Joe.